Hello and welcome to Conversations and Cultural Heritage. This five-episode series from Murbrook School's Mellon Fellowship for Diversity, Inclusion, and Cultural Heritage highlights the background and work of people of color in cultural heritage organizations. We'll talk about different career paths and roles in cultural heritage institutions, sharing a wide range of experiences from people in the field. Visit our website at bit.ly slash chconvos for links and more information. Crystal, I'm so excited to chat with you. Uh, what is your name and role? So, um, hello, my name is Crystal Trivet, and um, I'm accompanied here by a small person <laughs> who needs me right now. And so I'm just going to go with the flow and try to answer your questions as best I can. I work as the curator for Orange County Regional <laughs> History at the University of California, Irvine. Welcome to your special guest. Um, what excites you about your work? Um, there are so many things that excite me about my work. I mean, I love that it changes all the time. I love that I'm working with a variety of different people in different capacities. So faculty, staff, students, community members. Um, there's never a day that looks the same. And because I'm always doing work that um, I find to be fulfilling um, because I tend to focus on underrepresented communities and histories. You know, I think that for me, it, it just brings a certain level of importance to the work I do. And in that way, it's really exciting to be a part of, um, of a profession or a job that is trying to uh, really address some of the absences that exist in in narratives about um, for where I work, you know, Orange County, but um, the work that I do really spans beyond Orange County. I feel um, it can kind of tap into Southern California, California as a whole. And I think my larger view is that the work that I do, while it might be based regionally, that it can be applied to um, other regional spaces across the United States and thinking a lot more about how we tell a fuller story about where we live and um, the human experience um, in ways that haven't um, been told before or maybe that we're not so familiar with. That's so great. Can you maybe tell me a little bit more about the projects that you work on or the collaborations and communities you work with? Oh, okay. So the projects I work on, I work on, on community-centered archives projects. Um, a number of them are with community organizations that are not archives um, or libraries, um, but usually they're social, social services um, organizations. But um, I've been working with them, with my colleagues, um, Audra Eagle Yoon and others at UCI Libraries um, to try to um, either document um, the histories that they have, preserve materials that exist, create new materials if they don't exist, really think about how to um, share share information about um, the existence of the organization itself or the communities that they serve. And um, the projects that I work on, they're more often than not envisioned by the community members themselves. Um, we work with them, or I do, again, with my colleagues, there's nothing that I do by myself. You know, I don't ever think that I'm doing something alone. So I'll use like the royal wheel a lot of times, like, right? So like, um, yeah, like the projects that 
um, are defined are usually ones that are defined by the community organization, but we work with them to um, really think about feasibility, to think about, you know, um, whether or not it's um, a project that we can do in the scope of time that we have to work with them. So some examples of projects, like I've worked with the LGBTQ Center here in Orange County to document youth stories through um, mapping and oral histories. Um, I've worked with, with other organizations, like ch church organizations to, um, from historically black church, uh, or, uh, predominantly black churches here in Orange County to build up their archives um, and or preserve the archives that they have by um, collaborating with students to um, inventory the, the stuff they have. Um, the projects always look different. They're never one size fits all. So we really try to think about, again, um, how we can um, collaborate to really bring um, projects to fruition and, and completion. Like, well, sometimes completion is like a long game, right? But usually we're working with, with um, students uh, within like a quarter system. So like 10 weeks, you know, sometimes we get 20 weeks, um, but really thinking in that span of time. I mean, that's a really long-winded answer with just a few, like, examples. You know, those are some of the projects that we do with community members, but I also work with um, classes, a lot of ethnic studies classes in particular, to bring community-centered archives, principles, and um, some of the practices into the classroom so that students um, have an opportunity to think about not just what they're learning in, in books and readings, but also how they might be able to apply that knowledge in their communities, right? And so um, we like work with Asian American studies on different class projects to collect oral histories of um, some of the Southeast Asian communities here in Orange County or um, African American studies to, I've worked with graduate students to um, document um, a lot of the work I've known, if you, you'll hear oral histories a lot. <laughs> is with oral histories and students here, black alumni, um, but also of uh, members of the, um, of the Orange County um, community as well. Um, and with those, those are really exciting because again, students are doing that work. We're working directly with faculty to like kind of co-create projects for them. We've done a lot of scene projects. So it's, it's a combination of working with um, communities outside of um, the university, but also with our own communities inside, students and even focusing again on, on some of the populations um, like alumni um, that have come out of UCI and thinking about telling their stories as well. Is there a memorable moment that you remember from one of your collaborations that was like so validating of the work that you're doing? That's really difficult, not because I can't, almost because there's a lot of things that validate, um, you know, the work that I'm doing. Um, I think particularly with the LGBTQ, <laughs> bless you, with the LGBTQ youth, um, reading some of their um, their responses about why they were doing the projects that we were working on. So um, has been um, reinforced the importance of the work. So I mentioned earlier that I worked with the LGBTQ Center um, of Orange County with youth groups. And one project was um, co-developed with the, a youth group there that um, attends the center. And they developed the questions that they wanted to ask each other. And part of what we were doing was 
teaching them about how to do oral histories, how to, co to conduct it, but also having them serve as both interviewers and narrators. And at the end of the project, you know, there were some questions about, you know, was this useful or um, did you think it was um, helpful to you? And, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but um, among some of the reflections that are just like, yeah, this was so important because I don't want anybody who's young, basically like me, to go through thinking like they're alone and that they're not having, you know, they're the only ones having these experiences. And if I wish I would have had something like this available to me, you know. So those are the moments where I go, okay, great. <laughs> you know, like there's some, there's a small win, you know. And um, I think other times it's working with people who've, who've mentioned um, that being parts of the projects is, you know, got them thinking, not just about, um, the projects they're doing and creating, but also about their own histories, their own families, um, how they can bring that back to like the, the like you know their intimate circles, right? Because again, I work in a in a in a university, so we think like big projects, right? Like this, they're not really big, but sometimes it feels like it with all the logistics, right? It's like we think about oh, we're doing this project for this class or for this grant or something like that. But when somebody says like, I learned these skills and now I can think about how to apply them to my own personal life, then that that means something to me. I mean, I think that being able to know that someone's taking something away beyond beyond just the assignment, right, is um, really fulfilling. Thanks for sharing. That was that was amazing to hear. Can you tell me a little bit about your journey to get where you are today? Um, I'm an accidental librarian. I didn't even start wanting to be a curator. I joined UCI in a completely different role right out of graduate school. I actually don't have a library degree. I have a PhD in history. And um, I started working at UCI in a temporary role as a project historian for their 50th anniversary. And doing oral histories was my primarily my primary focus and historical documentation. But it was while and I was um, you know home my home <laughs> was in special collections and archives um, when I was in, in that position and. I learned so much um, about um, librarianship and special collections from, you know, uh, from being there. Um, so a lot of it was learning by doing. Um, a lot of it was just being open to try new things. I'm really grateful to like the colleagues who taught me a number of things, how to do stuff, like, you know, how to think through um, kind of like the back end of archives. Like I said, I, my, my educational background is in history, I was, I was the person in the special collections, you know, as a researcher. So my perspective of, oh, I go in and I look for these things, you know, and I find them, I was more interested in like the content of what I can find and not about like, well, wait, how did, how did this all get organized, right, to make it available to me. So I mean, learning about that was, was really interesting. Um, and also just getting a lot of opportunities to, to like, to teach and to write and to think and to collaborate with my, with my colleagues was, um, was really exciting. And in the midst of this like temporary position, I was, um, speaking with my colleagues, um, Audra Eagle Yoon and Tuivo Dang, who, um, used to be the curator for Southeast Asian Archive at UCI. Um, about um, ethnic studies and this intersection between community archives and ethnic studies. 
and how to bring that intersection into conversation in the classroom with students. And this was particularly interesting to me because when I was a graduate student doing kind of work on, I didn't have the vocabulary to say it was a community archive, right? I, I was looking, I won't get into it in detail because it gets a little too boring, but I will say I was looking, I was looking in the, the file cabinets of a nonprofit, right? <laughs> Trying to find what I'd say is like the voices of the people who, who are working on kind of these environmental issues in LA. And I kept thinking, like, I see, you know, if you go to the main libraries, I mean, like institutional libraries, you'll find a lot of documentation. None of it's really personal. It can be very, like, generic and can be like, and we developed this proposal, you know, or this thing was implemented. And I was really concerned, well, what did people say about that? How did people get involved in, in, um, in making these decisions, if at all? And um, I was particularly interested in environmental injustice, right, that um, impacts um, underrepresented communities in particular. So in thinking about ethnic studies and community archives, like me as a researcher already had this kind of experience of working with materials or looking for materials that were representative of the pers- of the of the people and not of like not of the people with po- like with power who are, you know um in in the big sense right that opportunity to think about ethnic studies community archives get in the classroom hold workshops on this was something that m- solidified for me that libraries was a place that I could be and contribute to and that could do um, that there was important work being done and critical questions being asked about what we know, how we know it, who provided that information, who filtered that information, right? All of those things. And so that's a little bit about like how I got into archives and why I stay in archives as well. That's so great. Thanks, Crystal, for sharing. Um, what does cultural heritage mean to you and your work? My disclaimer is I don't like the words cultural heritage. It makes me think of majority. It makes me think of like a museum and walking in and seeing like the same old pictures of kind of European, <laughs> I mean, you know, like, um, uh, um, you're uh, like a very Eurocentric gauge. So when I hear like cultural heritage, I actually think to myself, ah, I don't like, it makes me think of things that aren't like welcoming to some people that might look like, like me, right? Um, so when I think about dismantling that back, like that understanding of cultural heritage about, um, or, or, or expanding what I think, you know, what cultural heritage could be, I then can kind of wrap my brain around the opportunity to kind of redefine or um, understand that heritage is everybody's heritage. Cultural can be all kinds of cultures and experiences. And I think those words, like by definition, mean that, like I said, but my association with them has not been um, one of inclusivity, right? So cultural heritage to me both can mean exclusion um, again, from what my previous experience had been with understanding cultural heritage as being associated with museums and, and libraries and keeping people out and letting some people in. And also of thinking about, okay, how can we be sure to open up opportunities and paths for a 
broader community, a broader audience to um, to like um, libraries and archives, right? So that that they truly are inclusive of a variety of different uh, human experience, human and life experiences. So, I mean, cultural heritage means there's a lot of work to be done. And um, cultural heritage means it doesn't ever end <laughs> because cultural heritage change and um, changes and shifts. And I think that part of what um, our opportunity is to make sure it, it changes or shifts towards a more inclusive um opportunities for like understanding like his histories with a plural s you know yeah cultural heritage is a a fraught word um definitely something that i i don't know how i feel about it um sometimes i can connect to the word and sometimes i can't it's really kind of difficult um but it's a I think to me it's also about building bridges and i'm curious how do you how do you see your work building bridges you know as a um, I mean, I mentioned that I work with like um, co some community um, organizations, and by far those are some of the most fulfilling opportunities I have. But um, through um, some of the grants that we've had at UC Irvine, um, one of the most recent being a Mellon grant um, to create our um, community centered archives partnerships um, and help to sustain the work that we're doing, um, is to bring community organizations together. Um, whereas, you know, there, there are, this is one of those things where it's like how to see that you can be really isolated in a region, you know, and you're so busy doing your own thing that you don't know about all the other things like, you know, that are going on and getting some of our community organizations in the same room because our, we tend to work with groups of community organizations at a time. So two or three and pairing students with them, um, that, the organization's like, I never knew about you. I never knew about you. What are you doing? Oh, that's really cool. Like, I really support that. Or I'd love to think about how we can do that um, for my particular organization. Um, and that builds bridges across, you know, um, communities. I think it can, right? So that's just one way that, uh, that we can build bridges. And the other is, you know, through through students that we work with, um, having the students recognize um, not just differences, but similarities across communities, whether it's similarities and joys or similarities and struggles, you know, um, and in overcoming adversity or, you know, or, or different like cultural traditions that are shared. Um, so, um, in those ways, I think it's given people, like not just myself, but others that I've worked with, an opportunity to learn about each other and to respect and honor each other, um, or at least opportunities to do so. What impact do you think your work will have? Well, I mean, I hope that I hope that we are able to um, encourage um, other um, academic institutions to do community-centered work. Um, in an ethical way, um, not just doing projects on communities, but doing them with and in collaboration with communities, understanding the value of compensating communities for their collaborations with us. And I hope that for, you know, I guess our students that whether they go into libraries or archives or none of the above, that they still are able to take lessons with them throughout their lives, whether it's, um, Again, I was talking about how they might apply some of the things they learn to their own 
families, but I've heard of some of them who go into like education and find ways to bring it into their classrooms that they go into an elementary school. And that's really fulfilling. So um, I hope again that um, it has some positive impacts for, for um, us regionally, but also um, hopefully in uh, more broadly in the special collections and archives field. Um, I'm really delighted to um, get to speak with you and learn a little bit about your work. And I'm accompanied today by my co-interviewer, and I hope you don't mind, um, but he's excited to meet with you too and to hear about um, all you do. Thanks, Crystal. I'm really excited to chat with you, and I'm so excited to see a cute little face on screen. I love a co-host. Um, yeah, so about me, my name is Zaida Delgado, and I am the supervising librarian at the History and Genealogy Library, which is a public library special collections in Northern California. A bit about my role um, as the supervising librarian, I oversee a small team of librarian and archivists who process collections, do community outreach, programming, um, and increasingly we're developing uh, community-centered uh, collaborations and programs um, with those communities at the core of the design. Um, so I'm really excited about the work that we've been doing over the last few years, and I'm really hoping to continue that trajectory in the next two or three years, ramping up and doing some, some more major projects. Um, what city is your library um, located in? So we're in the city of Santa Rosa, and we're a bit unique in that we're in the central Santa Rosa area in downtown, but we serve the entire county. So we have a very urban area where we're at right now, but we are we're going northern northern um, uh, towns. Um, rural areas and thinking about how we can collaborate with them, how we can bring services that we have to them since they can't get to us. And oftentimes that means we're taking a two-hour journey um, just to make sure that we're connecting with people at various outreach events. Um, I'm excited that we're able to connect and actually think about how we're preserving their histories or how we can support them in the preserving history. What kind of community um, do you work with primarily? Um, all sorts. Our researchers um, often come to us because they're doing family history. So the history and genealogy, the genealogy is pretty heavy. Um, so people who are interested in learning about their lineage and they're able to access databases here and also a various um, print collections that aren't anywhere else in the county. We have a big focus on local genealogy as well that was built out over several years. But in the last few years, we've done a shift and focus more on local history and how we're building that. Um, so collecting more photographs, documents, uh, collaborating with people uh, to digitize their own content and have that in, represented in our collections and accessible to the community. We have different users for local history and genealogy but we're also thinking about how we are expanding that audience. Um, one thing that I'm really passionate about is bringing local history to students. So just yesterday, um, I had six back-to-back -back class visits with seventh graders, and we did a project on how we're going to research their family history and how they're going to discover maybe 
a country of origin, a region of the country, and do a project um, on that area. And so it was exciting to collaborate with those instructors at that school, interact with those students, see the passion that they have um, in learning, uh, that they have access to this, and see them curious about um, their own histories and primary sources. That was really exciting to see. So I'm hoping we can grow and build um, that kind of community connection that we have with the educators and, and uh, build our collections around that. That's so interesting. Um, I don't have um, experience with genealogy myself, um, but I remember those um, projects and like it's been a long time, but <laughs> I'm like, pretty old, right? But like those projects um, where you create like your family tree or what have you um, for in elementary school and, you know, being a, um, an African-American, sometimes it was pretty short tree. Um, I wonder, you know, like, um, how do you encourage students um, when maybe their trees aren't as long as some others? That's a great question. And that was definitely a conversation we had with the instructors. Of not everyone is able to track down their ancestry that far um, because the records either don't exist in the way that you would think. Um, people's names aren't written down or recorded the way that maybe European, we have access to like European records. Students who have African-American history, Native American um, ancestry, Latin American ancestry, considering how we are going to adjust the project or have that conversation with the students that it's not, it's because it's because there's not, there's not as many records publicly accessible through this particular database. Yeah, it's, it's just a really important conversation to have with students and, and to let them think about um, their place in the world. It's an ongoing conversation. This was also uh, the first we'll do, be doing a follow-up where we'll, we'll cover a little bit more about what information we're able to find and what information we're not able to find through particular databases. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your path to get where you are today? Yeah, it wasn't too much of a straight path. Um, I did start off in public libraries. My first job was a library page putting away books um, in uh, Claremont Public Library. And I really enjoyed doing that work for a couple of years until I graduated from my undergrad. Um, and after that, I knew that I wanted to get an MLIS. And while I was there, I really enjoyed my archives classes, special collections classes, and um, the public library classes as well. Um, so I was able to kind of bring new experiences on to the experience I already had. Um, and after I graduated, I worked a little bit in museums, in their archives, until I worked at UC Riverside um, as their public services coordinator. And in that role, I was really able to grow and develop my passion for archives and special collections, my passion for working with students. I was really excited um, to work with my colleagues there who were able to really help me think through a lot of the issues that I see within the profession, you know, um, the lack of representation in the collections and how, we're, how we can work to address kind of these absences of voices. So when I left UC Riverside, um, for a, this position here, I started off as the special collections librarian and archivist, and that was the focus when I first came on board, was how can I develop more partnerships with underrepresented communities? 
How can I go out in the community? And some of that was a lot of building trust or rebuilding trust because you don't necessarily, you can't go into a community you don't know and just like say like, how can we, how can we get copies of your stuff or how can we just get your stuff, which I've, I've, I've seen other people do. And I, I am always shocked when people have, um, that level of just gumption to just go up to someone they don't know and ask for materials. Um, and I think that true connecting to community means going out, building that relationship, talking them, talking with them about like, what are our needs and not even thinking about like, the end goal is acquiring your materials. The goal for me is to go out into the community and build that relationship or rebuild that relationship. And that takes years. I'm really happy that some of those collaborations, some of those relationships have turned into collaborations and partnerships over the years. But it, it, it was a lot of like me as an outsider to the area, because I'm from Southern California, coming into the, these communities and slowly building those, those talks with people. That's such an important point you make about trust and trust building and, um, you know, thinking about reshaping the, <laughs> this profession that part is like, I think probably the cornerstone of it and not it being just a kind of come in and take it, you know, or take, I don't even know, like borrowing it. it it's, it's not even that either, either. It's really about, um, you know, kind of solidifying kind of this honest and true desire to be supportive of communities and whatever they want their history however they want to tell their own histories, however they want to share it. That's a part, you know, that I don't, there's no guidebook <laughs> for that, right? There's, there's really there's no guidebook on it. And um, I think the only way that you can be successful in this type of community building work is if your full heart is in it um, and not coming in with an ulterior motive, which I sense in other relationships, I can't, I don't know what's happening in other, exactly in other libraries and archives, but sometimes I don't feel like some of the collaborations I see are genuine. And, um, and I don't want that experience, my, our communities around here to experience that. And we do kind of like devote our soul into like how we can support people. And one thing that we're thinking about is how if you, that's great you want to build a community archive you also want to build access um you don't necessarily want to donate to the library that's completely fine how can we support you to like find a grant find funding um collaborate with others build volunteers so that you can provide access to those resources kind of on your terms uh, another point you make about um it's not always clear with some community projects <laughs> with all like what the ulterior motive is for them. I, I say like community archives is almost like becoming or the voca like those words, like we're supposed to be building or supporting community archives. It's like, that's what we're doing now. You know, it's kind of like the diversity initiatives. <laughs> we need to put that in somehow, but that doesn't mean you can just go about it haphazardly, right? Like it's And it's a huge shift because, um, I think a lot of people, I work in a public library, so some of the conversations around donors and donor relations for collections is very unusual anyway, because they're acquiring their materials through like Baker and Taylor or major publishers like that. Um, 
And so they're not going out in the community to grab to grab collections, to get collections for um, for their community groups. And we are, we're building relationships or we're getting, um, you know, donation offers and considering them for our collections. And so sometimes I'll have conversations with different uh, library folk within my organization and they, they ask, why can't we just, why can't we just ask them outright? Why can't we just, why is, why is this so difficult? And it's like, well, that's, that's not my end goal. That's not my end goal is to have that. Um, so you should, I think you should feel that we we're doing so much for the community, focus less on the collection building part and like see how successful we are in the community building part of like what libraries and archives can do. Like that is, a, that is like a huge part of our job. Transparency, transparency, transparency. Yeah. <laughs> it's important. It's, that's what I'm hearing. Um, yeah. for me, I completely understand and agree, you know, um, about how important it is to, to be transparent about what your, what your intentions are, not just with the community, but also with, um, internally too, like, what are you doing and why are you doing it? You know, how are you doing it? Mm -hmm. Um, what does cultural heritage mean to you and to your work? I think, uh, that's a, that's an interesting word, uh, cultural heritage. I think it can mean community. I think it's also just like kind of a weird word. We 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 previously had uh, what we called the heritage collections at our library, and I we we worked to rename that just because uh, the word heritage just brought to me as a person of color such like an icky connotation. Um, so luckily, we were able to to remove that word. I think cultural heritage. Um, as the profession, I think, wants it to be is like, you know, all of these things coming together uh, for a shared purpose of shared history. And I think if I'm generous, generously looking at the word, it does mean community. It does mean like bringing that shared history together. But I don't love it. It's not a it's not a great word. I tend to just, you know, lean, lean away from that word. Um, how do you see your work um, as part of building bridges? Um, I see it as prioritizing projects that are going to serve the community broadly and how we can build partnerships to build uh, relationships specifically. In the last few years, we've kind of developed a couple of different projects that I'm particularly proud of, and I think that those are um, building bridges. Um, so one project I'm particularly proud of is one that was launched earlier this year in July, and that's called the Playback Memory Lab. That's a digitization lab that we built um, for the community to digitize their own content. So now we have a scanning station for people to book, come in, digitize their personal family or community records, and do with them what they want to. Um, we also have an audiovisual station that we're, we have and we're building out where people can come in and their home movies can be digitized. Recitals, we've had a lot of community interest around this new program because people want to preserve their own histories. Um, and they've been so glad to see the library has kind of filled this void because there's for-profit um, opportunities out there 
but there's no, we're the first ones in the community who are able to provide this service for free. And one where there is no expectation that they're giving anything back to the library. This is solely a, a, a service for them to, to preserve their own history. And so um, we've gotten so much feedback from community members all over who've been able to book appointments. We've been book solid since July um, for the lab. And then in the next phase of this project, we will be exploring how we can bring those digitization services either through scanning days or through um, mobile labs within rural communities or communities that are impacted by like natural disasters. Because we're in Northern California, uh, we have a lot of wildfires here. So we have a lot of anxiety within the community about, I mean, people's homes were burned a few years ago and uh, they lost everything. And so now having this service is kind of alleviating some of that anxiety. And another project that I'm particularly proud of is a project that we, we've titled here in Queer Sonoma County. And that is a collecting initiative for digital content. Um, it, but it's primarily served as a platform to create more partnerships with other groups. Um, so people can upload content onto the Here and Queer platform to give the library digital content um, related to queer history. But we've also been able to develop relationships with different organizations to record oral histories or to potentially put on exhibits. So we've been able to uh, expand um, our collection slowly through that collecting initiatives, but also like our broaden our audience. Um, what impact do you hope that your work will have? I think that's such a hard question. I think I, I just, I want to nurture people's curiosity through my work. I want to be able to know that in some small way, maybe the work that we've done collaboratively, because we're all a team here, um, has impacted the community in some way. Um, that we've brought in an understanding of special collections and archives, and that we've also expanded people's understanding of why their own histories are important. Because I think a lot of the conversations that I have with communities, people don't think about their documents as being important. People don't think about like their pictures on their phone or the, the evidence they leave behind is as anything that's important. And I have to say, like you bring a unique perspective to the world and off in the future, people will want to have access to many of your resources. And so talking to them about how they can take actions now to preserve their histories, maybe just for their families, but potentially for other reasons. And so I think the impact I would like to leave is um, for people to leave with a deeper sense of, of their own place in the world and their own kind of impact um, on the historical record. I've experienced that same response from community members about like, well, you don't want my stuff. Like, it's not important, right? And I don't have anything about, you know, said important person or individual in a position of authority, or I'm not a person in that role. And I think that says so much about how we've maybe been, it's particularly um, communities of color and underrepresented groups have been conditioned to think that what they're doing or who they are isn't as valuable as others' experiences and trying to unpack that, but also trying to undo that um, um, perspective is a big one. 
that I think work in archives and libraries can really have an impact in doing just to encourage people that you do matter and um, the everyday matters and that's how people will know about you and experience or your loved one's experiences or community experience in the future right it's really interesting to think about it's one of those things where perhaps you didn't didn't know (laughs) but going out and talking in the community reminds you know us of of that history that existed the relationship between like the archives as an institution and that impact that it's had on communities in the past and how we need to shift that relationship in the present. My final like, question for you was going to be, did we talk about everything you wanted to talk about? Like, <laughs> or is there something else, you know, or is there anything else that you wanted to, to, to add or to talk about? Um, I think what I, I will say that I'm excited for the profession is and this is a contrast to me when I was in library school 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago. Um, I think there's more of a critical conversation happening among library students about how they're going to be dismantling these problematic issues within our field. There was definitely something that I remember reading certain articles or reading certain like policies and just saying like, this doesn't connect with me. This doesn't like I don't feel represented within like uh, the policy that you've created or the pr- the standard procedures or the terminology that you're using. So I'm excited to see a lot of these conversations happening among the people who are currently in the profession, but also the people who are growing and building within this profession. I have two two staff members here who one is just he graduated library school last week, um, someone who graduated last year and has been a librarian. They're so enthusiastic about like how they can, how we can dismantle kind of the policies and procedures that are not equitable and how we can uplift certain voices. And so I'm excited to like see how their careers are going to grow and how they're going to collaborate with the vision that we've, um, we've developed together um, for our community and how we can work together for the community. So that's kind of what I'm excited to see in the future. And I'm glad that I'm a small voice in kind of this changing, evolving profession. It does make me, I'm consistently sitting myself and thinking, what are our, you know, like what are archives? What is the archival profession and where are we going, right? When it doesn't fit into the traditional box of, of taking and making accessible, what else are we doing? And how do we continue to push for that redefinition of what our work is and why we're doing it for the future, right? So yeah, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. And I really appreciated hearing um, about all that you're doing. It sounds really exciting. And I hope we'll get to chat about it some more uh, in person at some point in time. Crystal, it was so great talking to you. Like, oh God, I wish we could talk for like another hour. but next time another time in the future um it was so great to talk to you thank you thanks to the rare book school mellon fellowship for funding this project remember to visit us at bit.ly slash chconvos 